0: It's a kind of a family. Wherever I roam, up and way home. That's where I long to be. I'm a member of a Red Sox nation. It's a kind of insanity. Yeah, I live and die with Red Sox pride for eternity. I make a smile though. No
1: Good evening, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Benny and the Betts podcast covering Boston Red Sox baseball. For everyone staying up late tonight on Periscope, the podcast, as always, could be found on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and literally everywhere. Red Sox just wrapped up a four-game set against the Oakland Athletics. Did not go so well. I am Terry Koshman and I'm joined, as always, by Jeremy Schilling and Liz Churchville. How are you guys?
2: Pretty awesome.
3: Um, Liz's <laughs> excitement annoys me. Uh, so I'm not doing great. <laughs>
2: well, I mean, I mean, personally, I guess i I have a theme to have a little bit of a granted I realize only only two series. So I know I'm not gonna be overly overjoyed or anything like that, but uh, but I have something to be happy about where you guys not so much.
3: Terrence, there's a certain list of people that I'm writing down that are tweeting at me, texting me, and otherwise chirping me about the current state of affairs. Um, that list will be revisited in late September. Uh, what I hope that the ship has righted its course, um, Liz will be getting a, an appropriately timed tweet in late September if things go the way I think they're going to go. I'll just leave it at that.
2: Right. Hey, I picked the socks to win the division, okay? I'm not saying that they completely suck and that they're not going to, like... Come back and kick everyone's ass. That's not what I'm saying at all.
3: Liz, Liz, don't make me bring out the receipts. You chirp me. You <laughs> chirp me. Don't make me bring out the receipts because I will. We'll submit evidence if we have to. Um. Terry, I'm doing terrible. I'm, I'm not doing well. Uh, let's move on with the fucking podcast.
1: Right. I would also like to add that it's a good thing I took out that $100 insurance policy on the uh, Cleveland Indians should they let me down.
3: Uh <laughs> With that uh, I've, already spent, I've already spent the hundred So you can PayPal <laughs> me that whenever you get a chance Okay uh, Fair enough
1: Alright so uh, getting into the Very brief Recap uh, Game one against Oakland Monday David Price versus Aaron Brooks Chris Davis, Ramon, uh, Laureano both hit solo home runs early in the game. Price was pitching up until the sixth inning, what was the strongest start of any Red Sox starter until Chad Pinder hit a two-run shot. Price would be done after that inning, pitching six full, giving up five hits, four earned runs, Walked two, struck out nine. Hembry came on in the eighth and did Heath Hembry type things, giving up three runs. 7-0 Oakland was your final. Tuesday, Chris Sale uh, looked to rebound after his awful opening day start. He squared off against Mike Fires. Matt Chapman got to Sale in the first inning with a solo shot. Sale was able to kind of grind through six full innings, didn't look terrible, Uh, gave up three hits, the one earned run, walked two, only one strikeout, however. Mike Fiers also matched him tit for tat, pitching six full and officially putting himself in the category of Red Sox killer. Uh, Brandon Workman, Ryan Brazier were both solid in relief. However, the Red Sox could not score any runs. One to nothing, Oakland was your final. Wednesday night, Nathan Evoldi, uh got his start against old pal Marco Estrada. Avaldi was getting knocked around uh, basically from the get-go. Nick Hundley drove in a run in the first. Two-run shot by Loriano in the first. Uh, fourth inning, and Ivaldi uh, just kind of labored through. The fifth inning was his best, happened to also be his final inning, gave up uh, four hits, three earned runs, walked four, struck out three. Blake Swihart in the bottom of the fifth, got the Red Sox on the board after 26 scoreless innings with a solo shot. Mitch Moreland drove in, uh, Mookie Betts, Raphael Devers tied the game, later on Mookie Betts drove a line drive awkwardly into the third base bag, which kind of careened into left field, Blake Swihart, JBJ uh, came in on that hit, Benintendi later drove in Betts, Brazier closed it out in the night, Six. Three Red Sox was your final. And then finally today, Eduardo Rodriguez, Brett Anderson. Anderson walked in two runs with the bases loaded in the first. JD Martinez hit a solo in the third. Erod had three runs, you know, to kind of work with, but in the bottom of the third, Stephen Piscotti, three-run shot. Grossman drove in Loriano in the fourth, and then Piscotti struck again in a very weird fly ball that should have been a routine uh, catch. Miscue between Mookie and Bradley, the two best outfielders in Major League Baseball. Ball uh, bounced over the outfield wall, ground rule double, and uh, two runs came in. Uh, Rodriguez was done immediately after that uh, Three and two-thirds innings, eight hits, six earned runs, walked three, struck out two. Seven to three was the final, and uh, Oakland took the series today. Three games to one. Ugly series, ugly start to the year. Red Sox are two and six overall. So we will get back to the state of the team uh, momentarily, but... We're now going to transition into shout outs and call outs. If you're unfamiliar with this segment, uh, all three of us will shout out a member of the team or someone in the sport who was really impressive and then we'll loop back around and then do the opposite of that by calling out a member of the team that was not impressive at all. Jeremy, go ahead and lead the segment off. Who are you shouting out? Mitchie
3: Two Bags. Um, Solid for chest. obvious reasons. Yeah, I mean, we would be zero and eight if it wasn't for potentially two very important swings of the bat. So it seems obvious, but I mean, it's tough to <laughs> it's tough to you know shout out. Certain members of this team right now, unfortunately. So it is. In- uh, I took the low hanging fruit because you guys didn't. So credit to me. Um, so, oh, Mitchy two bags.
1: Oakland is like his happy place too. Just seems to really rake at that ballpark. And, um,
3: they said on the broadcast last night, um, he's fifth all time in OPS in Oakland. Oh, like geez. behind. Behind like Hank Aaron, <laughs> like it was cra- it was crazy. It was late, late in the game. We're talking like might have even been after one o'clock in the morning. Um, but yeah, it was um, it was a crazy stat. Honestly, if I if you yelled at me last week for not picking um, like players in the series, uh, but if I could go and break rules again, I'd go with Eck because he's been easily the only entertaining part of the season so far so but i'm not going to do that <laughs> okay. and again credit to me because i'm going to follow the rules yeah, so i'm going moreland that's that is an impressive stat though because
1: that is one of the older stadiums so plenty of history there you know so nice uh nice pick with moreland uh liz who are you shouting out
2: uh i'm because just like jeremy said like we've all said you know there's not much uh, good about this series uh, I got to go outside the series, and uh, I got to shout out the Rays. I mean, obviously, I'm a Rays fan, so I, I can't not. I realize, like I said, only the second series, uh, but the uh, but the two that they faced, they faced the Astros in their home opener. Uh, that guy, that game kind of stuck. They lost it uh, five to one uh, to the Astros. Verlander was pitching, and Snell, you know, didn't look so sharp. But uh, the rest of the four game series we played, uh, we. Uh, we did really well. I mean, pitching held off, you know, a really strong lineup, you know, with Altuve, uh, Carrera, Springer, Bregman, you know, everybody uh, that usually kicks a lot of ass, basically. And uh, and then, you know, our hitters, you know, were getting hits off of probably one of the best starting lineups, or not starting lineups, starting rotations in, uh, in the American League. So I, I really can't be sad about that. And then, honestly, like how they played against the Rockies, kind of surprised me because uh, historically the Rays suck at interleague play, like really, really suck. Uh, More so away than they do at home, but still, uh, it's usually a struggle for them. Plus, I picked the Rockies to go to the World Series, so I wasn't really seeing uh, the Rays playing particularly well against them. But, um, but again, you know, we saw our, our pitching, you know, be really strong against them, shut them out you know multiple times and uh and um snell had his second outing against them and he had uh he matched his strikeout record he had 13 strikeouts that game i
1: saw uh, And
2: how many was it in seven innings so uh so he was really amazing and hopefully back on his game but obviously again second start who knows that he could ebb and flow and everything with it but uh We did have one injury that that could end up impacting us. We lost Joey Wendell uh, for a little bit. I think he's on the 10-day IL uh, with a hamstring injury. But they brought up uh, Christian Arroyo, a uh, rookie, or not a rookie, but he came over uh, in the Giants trade when we sent Longo over there. So uh, he seemed to be kind of fitting in nicely. He played a couple games with us last year and did all right, but uh, he made a couple awesome plays, and I think he got – I don't have his his, – numbers up here, but I want to say he either got an RBI, uh, at least an RBI, if not a hit in an RBI, so can't complain about that, so yeah, Def the Rays, they're, uh, they're uh,
1: in first looking place. pretty good as of,
2: uh, well, I mean, first place, but guess who's behind them, the freaking Orioles, what the hell is that, <laughs> so, I mean, right. that's not saying too much, but, but we'll see, I mean, I really wish the Rays played the Yankees sometime soon because they've got so many injuries right now. I feel like those would be easy wins, but uh, not until May.
1: Yeah, and but the, and you got a lot. I think two sets against them that month.
3: So. Um, yeah, hey, uh, maybe. Liz.
1: Maybe. Liz, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
3: in about, I don't know, 90 minutes to two hours, you're going to get a text that you broke the rules. So I'm just warning you right now. <laughs>
4: Hey, on the
0: league? Hey, I, I put uh, it hey, in look, the I didn't
3: I didn't write the rules, and I don't <laughs> enforce the goddamn rules. I'm just telling you. Set your ringer to on in two hours because you're gonna get a text. You broke the rules. I'll I mean, don't shoot the messenger. Don't shoot the messenger.
2: I was alright. to with tell this. you who I was gonna go with if I was gonna pick somebody from the Red Sox.
3: Sure. Yeah.
2: I I mean I mean it, it still isn't that great. It's kind of like Mitch Moreland. I mean. I was going to go with uh, with JD Martinez as who I was going to go with. I mean, he seemed to you know consistently be getting hits, getting on base, and unfortunately getting stranded, you know, there a lot. But um, so I mean, at least he was doing something. He seemed to be the most consistent, you know, one at least, maybe mm-hmm. not in key spots like Moreland was. Uh, I'm not going to lie to you and say that I stayed up through all the games. I did my best, but I ended up falling asleep. Uh, Unfortunately, these West Coast games kill me uh, unless it's a weekend. But, um, but, uh, but yeah, I was going to say JD.
3: So Liz, Liz attempting to correct her, her uh, shout out is like driving 110 miles an hour <laughs> on the highway for like five miles, but then using your blinker to change lanes. <laughs> so, ter- Terry's not Falling for that, I'm just telling you right now Hey, hey, hey all I put
2: it in the, I put it in our little group message that we have And Terry didn't say no, did he? So, there you go
1: Well, we sucked, and that was a performance Take, so I, That's fine, I guess <laughs> uh, My shout-out, I'm going a little outside the box uh, You know, because obviously there, There's not a lot of good things to talk About, uh, unfortunately But my shout-out is going to be Colton Brewer, who had one appearance it was the the game we won he got five outs uh, walked one couple of strikeouts but looked really good and he's pitched three and two thirds so he's gotten eight outs already in the uh, two series and not given up a run and he's been a kind of curious you know case for me because I couldn't figure out why san diego would deal him to us Uh, you know if everybody's so high on him and they're kind of starting to gear up for a run they're, they're a year or two out at least but he's a controllable asset i think through 2025 and what makes him especially interesting is he was drafted in 2011 but never debuted until last year And he had a five-something ERA, which is a little deceiving because seven of his nine appearances were scoreless, and he got tattooed the other two. So, you know, a a 25-year-old rookie, that's kind of up there. And, uh, you know, he's with us now in his age 26 season. And for a bullpen that's pretty thin, you know, he's a a really uh, interesting... Case and I'll be watching him and um, got got five big outs uh, the night we won. So, my shout out is Colton Brewer. And uh, we'll loop back around to do our call out. So, who do you have on that, Jeremy?
0: Nunez. Nunez sucks.
1: <laughs> he
3: certainly does. <laughs> he sucks. He sucks a lot. And he sucks in the face of having no other answers unless you're gonna bring up two-way Lin. So Pedroya, and one of the reasons why I picked Nunez besides again just being completely like obvious and he could, I mean he literally like the analysis, he sucks, he sucks a lot. Um, but I, I I think we're losing yeah.
1: Lizzie, are you still there? Alright, we are having difficulties. Turns out it is uh, on my end. Uh, so bear with me, my bad. Dialing these guys up right now. And I have no (laughs) Wi-Fi. I am so sorry about this. We are live, so that's why I'm not really cutting away. Let's, uh... All right. Well, Jeremy was talking about uh, Nunez sucking. And he was caught on the base pass and I, um, when he was caught, he was attempting to steal and then got halfway down the line and got basically caught in a rundown and uh, almost beat the bag with kind of a swivel move, but he uh, unfortunately got tagged out, and it was a critical spot because he... You know, we we need. We were down by at least a run or two at that moment, and then, um, you know, and then of course that that was one out. But we did end up scoring later on in that inning. Um, yeah, so still uh, working on these technical difficulties here. This is uh, one of the more awkward moments in the history of this podcast. Just kind of bear with me. I am going to just dial up Jeremy right now on the phone while I reboot my router. I really apologize for this. Just give me two seconds here and we'll have him dialed. Getting the dial tone right now. I kind of feel like an ass, but kind of winging it on the fly. What happened? No Wi Fi signal, so we're going to kind of wing it via phone until I can get that. There's Liz. All right, we are back. I am so sorry for everybody in the audience. We've uh, I lost my Wi Fi feed and was trying to wing it, but Jeremy, uh, go ahead and pick up on your uh call out. You left off exactly where you said he sucks and he sucks a lot.
0: Yeah, so one of the reasons why I chose specifically was to bring up the topic of Pedroia. Um, and I and look. I, I could be wrong. He goes six for his next nine. Let's see, has a big hit that wins the game out in Arizona. Everything's forgotten. So it, it's a tough time of year because of how bad they started and how quickly they could easily turn this around based on their level of talent. But I'm assuming he's never going to be what he was before his knee injury. And if that's the case, the scary part about Nunez is with Pedroya being such an unknown, there's really no answer within the organization because way Ram is not an everyday player in the major leagues. So, uh he sucks, he sucks a lot, and I don't know that we have better options at this point. Um, so, my, uh, call out is Eduardo Rodriguez. Yes. Liz,
1: who, uh, do you have? Uh, she might not be with us, even though it says she's on. Uh, well, I'll just, we'll just skip over to mine for the moment, um... I went with Jackie Bradley. I kind of put today's botched, you know, that fly ball that should have been caught. I put it more on Bradley. It was more in his t- territory. Usually, the corner outfielders are going to yield to the center fielder. And the ball came down. Two runs got scored. Couple that with the fact he was only two for 14 in the series. I just think. We didn't get very much out of him And if uh, If we're going to be better Offensively especially in the bottom Third of the order uh, Bradley has to um, Up his game
0: (coughs) I mean In all honesty to call out Right now could Probably be the easiest segment we've done all year Or we will do all year (coughs) I mean, the team just has been so bad on so many levels, so, um, you know, frustrated as hell. Uh,
1: We should be back on Skype right now if you want to switch back over. I got Liz. I can put you back on. Liz, you there? Oh, hang on. Yeah. (laughs) I'm not a very good uh, technical uh, difficulty uh, problem solver. So uh we've already gone through ours. Go ahead with your call out. Oh, with mine? Yeah. With
2: mine? Uh, um I took uh, I feel I feel like I took the obvious low fruit on this one. Uh, I took took your favorite guy, David Price, and uh, his first start. You know, he's in the uh, you already went over his numbers, six innings, five hits, four runs, nine strikeouts, but three home runs, he's just got to do better than that, uh, even though his strikeouts were good. Uh, I, I really want to see him do well, you know, not only because, you know, he's an X-ray and everything, but uh, obviously uh, I'm told I'm a posited uh, Red Sox fan, so another reason why I'd like to see him do better, and uh, frankly, for the money he's getting, he needs to do better, and uh, having those three home runs hit off him just just aren't good enough, or isn't good enough. But uh, I also know that the Red Sox didn't score any runs. So even if he would have only had one run scored on him and the bullpen would have shut everybody else out, it really wouldn't have mattered. They still would have lost. But uh, but at least it would have looked better on him. So I'm going with David Price.
1: I uh, will never, even if it is completely unwarranted, I will never, um, you know, I would never disapprove of a David Price shout out. Uh, call out, excuse me call out oh (laughs) (laughs) yes all right so most awkward episode of um shout outs and call outs due to that uh glitch and i was trying to wing it you guys will probably laugh when you listen to it back but i did not do a good job winging it um (laughs) so yeah so good five minutes in there but whatever um, all right, so we will get into just the general uh, Red Sox segment here. Um, why don't we just start off with what continues to be the elephant in the room, Chris Sale. Now, he did, he did pitch a, lo- a lot better, really, in terms of his command. Uh, kept us in the game, gave us a chance to win it. Unfortunately, that was one of the game there was no... Um, you know, no runs scored, but still a little concerning. Uh, would you agree, Jeremy?
3: Yeah, I mean, after the game, uh, the pitching coach Lavange uh, came out and said, uh, "Don't you want him healthy for the end of the year?" Um, the comment itself sounded defensive, and I don't buy it for a second. Um, it, if he's if he is. You know, "quote unquote" saving himself for the end of the year. I just don't see that the velocity would be eighty-eight. It would be like, I, 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 maybe I'm cutting this thing this too thin, but you got to be throwing ninety miles an hour. I mean, it just seems like eighty-eight's that the, there's something wrong. And um, and if they are doing that, then they seem like maybe they're smart, like a fox. You know, like obviously he's. Pitching to contact a little bit more than he has. He's he's throwing more sliders, um, especially to right-handed hitters, where he's trying to throw it down and in for a strike. And he was successful the other night. I give Chris Sale a ton of credit. I I believe that good, real, are capable of reinventing themselves. And Terry, you and I traded uh, some names back and forth, guys like you know, Smoltz, who, who lost his ninety high 90s fastball and was able to be effective for another basically five years. And I, I think Sale, with his mindset, is capable of that. And I think that's what he's going to be. I don't think he's going to be 88, but I know he's not going to be 98. So he's going to be somewhere in between uh, his last start and what he's been traditionally. Uh, I'm concerned that um, he's never going to be uh, potentially a Cy Young Award candidate again. I hope I'm wrong. I think there's a chance I'm wrong, and maybe what the team is telling us is accurate. It just doesn't pass the eye test. Now, with that said, right? You're the Boston Red Sox, so he doesn't have to be um, Snell to the to the Devil Rays. You know, the the Devil Rays need Snell to be you know that guy, a 20 game winner. The Red Sox don't need that. They just spent 17 million a year on Ivaldi. Um, they still have David Price. Um, They've got a ton of depth. And so, you know, anyone can emerge as their ace. Um, I think it's still sale. I I give him a tremendous amount of credit for getting outs with less than ideal stuff. And I hope that it comes back. And I hope that he is building again, as the Red Sox have said. But I'm skeptical and I'm worried. Um, And I don't hate, you know, and all this comes back to the deal, especially for Terry, which is fine. Um I don't necessarily hate the deal yet but I was always skeptical of it. I knew there was risk both ways. I, I like that they erred on the on the side of caution as far as signing the player. Um but but there's some problems here. There's you know there's some serious problems here.
1: Well, I'm not going to trash the the contract again this episode, but um you know, I'm pretty I'm no more comfortable with it than I than I was a couple weeks ago uh of the actual performance what concerns you more was it the 88 mile an hour I, he hit 91 so but was sitting mostly around 88 does that concern you a lot or does the one strikeout uh concern you more
3: than the velocity yeah obviously the strikeout because his he's not Chris sale just because of fastball so why is he not getting? Swings and misses and strike threes on his other... I mean, he has a good slider. A big part of why he's good is his deception with the way that he plants across his body like two to three feet um, off the rubber and then whips around and hides the ball very well, which if um, you've ever looked for the ball out of a pitcher's hand, if it comes late, it's harder to pick up. Um, So... He's always been good at those things, whether whether it was natural or contrived. Um, his his windup creates an advantage, and then again, he's got a plus slider. So, I'm really that surprising that for whatever reason, he's not getting swings and misses or he's not getting strike threes. Now, with that said, at the end of the day, he got big outs. He kept them in the game, and if they could hit even a little bit, he'd be one and one right now. Um, so, I give him all the credit in the world. And. Again, and I don't want to hit the point, because if you've listened to the last podcast, you, I've already highlighted the point. I think a lot of the, the early season issues with everyone in the rotation, no one has been immune from it, is the throwing program has not built these guys up to pitch uh, extended you know innings yet. And so velocity's down with almost everybody, location's down with everybody, stuff's down with everybody. And Chris Sale, who just signed the biggest contract and has the biggest gap between what he usually is and what he is right now, is he's the focal point, which makes a ton of sense. But I, I have concerns that the throwing program has set these guys up to fail, at least in the first month of the season.
1: Liz, what are your thoughts as you're kind of seeing this unfold? You know, he's been a dominant ace for quite a while. I mean, you guys saw him, you know, against Chicago and even more so with the Red Sox the last few years. You know, how have you been observing this?
2: Um, honestly, you know, watching him, the the strikeout, like Jeremy said, would be my main concern over the velocity. I mean, even though it's it's hard to say whether or not his velocity is, uh, or his loss of velocity is an indication that something is going on, as you've been saying, like, pretty much since I've known you, (laughs) I guess. But, um... But definitely uh, the, the Chris Sale we knew or I've seen, you know, in the past, you know, would have gotten the nine strikeouts that David Price got, you know, why, why is he not getting that if nothing else, you know, cause everything else seems to be clicking at least, a, at least according to, you know, that start, but, uh, but it just doesn't make any sense, you know, it doesn't make any sense to me. But, um, one thing about really high velocity, I mean, it's, it's great, but, um, a lot of those pitchers do end up having to go through Tommy John too, so and uh, how some of them do and some of them don't, I, I don't completely understand. But, but but I almost think too fast, you know, can be a problem too. So there has to be that happy medium there somewhere. But uh, obviously, he's been declining for for some time, and now it seems to be, I guess, a consistent slower fastball. If that makes any sense. But um, yeah. but I think if he if he stays. You know, at the, what did you say, 87?
1: Uh, 88 is where he seemed to be.
2: 88. You know, if he can just, you know, get his strikeouts back where they need to be, I wouldn't be concerned about him at all.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of things kind of running through my mind right now, some of which I've pointed out. Um, You know, he's a strikeout guy. One of the interesting things Dave O'Brien, who I can't stand by the way, pointed out, Uh, was that his tempo is way slower. Last year, he was mostly being caught by Sandy Leone, basically up until the playoffs, and Sale has always been a fast worker, but that wasn't the case the other night. Like, he had to take his time more with his pitch selection, you know, if they would agree on the the location of it, whatnot. And with Sandy Leone, it was just almost rapid fire, and Sale was on record saying... Time after time, he goes, I throw whatever he calls because I know, I, I trust him, and whatever he calls, I know I can get them out on that pitch. Now, with the lack of velocity, it's it's a little bit different, you know? He's relying more on his off-speed stuff, so he's going to be a little bit more selective, a little bit more situational. And they also, I think it was Eckersley who pointed this out, his changeup is only 2 miles an hour slower than his fastball so i don't know how effective that's going to be long term when these guys when these teams start getting more looks at him and there's more video i'm just i'm really concerned that even his slider and his changeup and whatever type of fastball he tries to throw i just think you know if teams are well prepared he's going to get knocked around and you're going to you might see more of what you saw in in Seattle and that worries me another thing that worries me a little bit right now is if he is slider heavy sliders tend to to be kind of damaging you know for for elbows and it's a really violent motion and I'm I'm just wondering if if that's really better for him to throw more of those and less fastballs. I just I don't know if we're going to get better results in in August and September. So we're just in really uncharted waters right now and it's it's the most curious thing on the team. It's the most curious aspect of this 2019 Red Sox team and we don't make the playoffs if if Chris Sale isn't solid for most of the season. Uh, you know, Erod, uh, not Erod, uh, Evaldi, we got the win, you know, after his start, but it wasn't pretty, you know, for him. His his command wasn't good. He had four walks. It was the same five-inning performance that you saw after we traded for him last year. So, we're not seeing October Evaldi right now. We're seeing second half of last season Evaldi. So this pitching has to turn it around. I mean, I just, I can't. I just can't imagine we're going to make a serious run at this without some of these guys stepping up. And I don't put a lot of stock into this, but I, I pointed it out fairly recently. Porcello doesn't pitch well on odd-numbered years for whatever reason, and I'm not, what is, how does the saying go? I'm not superstitious, but I'm a little stitious, and uh, so, I I don't know, so, we gotta be better. Hopefully, you know, Arizona goes a little bit better, and then we'll get back home, and you know, everybody's body clocks will be right again, and we'll be in a familiar setting, but... I'm pretty concerned about Chris sale and another thing too, before I turn it back over to you guys, it was really interesting and I'm surprised Nesson even kind of, you know, made note of it. But during the first and second inning, I forget which one it showed Cora and Brad Pearson, the the head trainer, uh, having a pretty, pretty focused discussion uh, seemingly about sale while he was on the mound So, I mean, just all these flags are just flying up, but I don't know. So, any thoughts on him?
2: Uh, Well, I have a question just because you brought up uh, Leon, and both of you were pretty strong against, you know, since the team was carrying three catchers and and everything, and obviously most teams that's just something that they don't do. You know, you knew one was going to go, and obviously Leon was the weak offensive link, so, you know, they got you know, they got rid of him. But um I always liked him. I always loved watching him behind the plate. Uh, that was one thing that stood out to me when I started actually paying attention to the Red Sox more uh toward the end of last season, uh when I started coming on the show with you guys. And um saying what you said about how Sale trusted him. Sale would just do whatever, you know, Leon picked. He he you know knew that They were going to be good pitches and it was going to work how do you feel about a pitcher like saying that i know you're anti a pitcher having a catcher but it almost seems like that's the more ideal situation doesn't it
1: i don't mind the personal catcher situation i I think jeremy will will disagree with me in a second here but I, i don't really disagree with that and just to be clear if leon was up with the club right now the tempo would still be slow because, like I said, sales in uncharted waters. But I'm just saying, you know, I was just comparing basically 2018 from 2019 and Leon just happened to be the guy. And and Leon is a great pitch caller, you know. He he calls a good game and, you know, Porcello said he's, you know, he's the best he's ever pitched to. And, And this is a guy who's been around since 2008, so... I've heard some kind of chirps from from people on Twitter saying, "Oh, you got to bring back Leone. You got to bring back Leone." And that isn't a thing yet. I'm wondering if it might be a couple weeks from now. But um, I think Cora seems to be pretty consen- uh, content with um, Vasquez and Swihart has shown some defensive lapses, you know, over the last few games. But his bat has been there in some key moments. So. I think Swihart's a guy that they're just not willing to to move on from. So, gener- but as a
2: catcher, I mean, what, what do you value more? I mean, or can you say that one skill is more valuable than the other?
1: It's tough because, I mean, David Price's season turned around last year when Sandy started catching him. So, I mean... You know, maybe Sandy doesn't have a ton to do with that, but it, it is coincidental. And um, Porcello doesn't go on that run in 2016 until Leon comes up. So I, that is something I value, you know. But I just don't think the Red Sox necessarily value it. And and so we have Vasquez and um, you know Swihart. Yeah,
3: Jeremy, what what are your thoughts? Well, if you listen to the podcast, you know what my thoughts are. I think it's just so fucking soft if you have to have the personal catcher. It's a crutch. It's an excuse. It pisses me off. It has nothing to do with the way you throw the baseball. I know Sale is like get the sign and throw, and I, I commend that, and I respect that, and I like that he trusts his battery mate. But at the end of the day, you're a professional pitcher with independent thought, especially if you're good. Um And so, if you, you, for whatever reason, don't feel comfortable with the pitch selected by the catcher, um, shake it off and throw the pitch you want to throw. At the end of the day, the ball, as it leaves the pitcher's hand, through mid-flight, has no effect on the catcher. You could have an argument that there's some level of trust with the way a ball is framed or caught or returned quickly and accurately back to a pitcher, especially a pitcher who wants to work quickly. Other than that, there's just, it, the rest of it's just a crutch and I refuse to believe anything else and and if it was me and this pitching staff had that level of a crutch on some guy who who really for all intents and purposes sucks I would cut his ass and I wouldn't bring him back and I'd say you look you're going to have to figure it out like, I, I'm sorry it's just not the catcher, it's not I and anyone like... who wants to sit here and say there it is, it's fine, I mean they, everyone's entitled to their opinion, my opinion is it's bullshit, it's a crutch and I just refuse to believe in it it's soft. It's it's the pussification of of <laughs> professional of professional <laughs> fucking athletes who are getting paid sales getting paid thirty, uh, prices getting paid thirty one, Evaldi seventeen, Erod four, you know. I mean, Jesus fucking Christ, grow up. I mean, really. Well,
1: I feel like managers at the beginning of the season always say oh no personal catchers no personal catchers but the second they suddenly have lost you know five out of their last seven the pitchers end up getting their way and then they get their personal catcher its just it just always seems to work out that way it happened with price last year and you know it, it, he started pitching to leon most of the way and and you know Vasquez has lost his job a couple of times as well. You know, for performance or, or whatever, and and that that's kind of what kept Leon around as long as he was because he is a backup. I mean, as much as I love him, you know, and and miss him, he is a backup catcher. But you know, Vasquez wasn't exactly solid offensively, and I am not really seeing that that defensive wizardry from Vasquez and don't get me wrong he's more than adequate and, and I'm not saying he's not but I don't uh, and nothing comes to mind recently or, or even last postseason where I'm where I'm thinking to myself oh geez that was that was a brilliant you know move by Vasquez whether he was picking off a runner or whatever you know I just I haven't really seen it from him and you know so I don't know just just
3: my thoughts I mean that's has he been great? I mean no one's been great except for basically Moreland, JD and for Spurts, Mookie this... I'm not talking about the first eight games of the year, I'm talking generally and I don't want to beat a dead horse because my opinion on this is well known to anyone that listens to this podcast um, if they bring him back if he starts catching sale as a personal catcher, price as a personal catcher, and whatever else, it completely undermines what's best for the team other than what's best for that pitcher on that given day. Certainly it's not best for the offense, who's been shut out in back-to-back games in this series, who offered nothing uh, today after the first three innings. It's not best for the team. So if you bring him back and you a cowtail. Uh, uh, to uh, the people that want him to be their quote unquote personal catcher, you lose credibility. And so if that does happen, who's it gonna be? Cora? Cora's gonna tuck tail and go back in that clubhouse? I don't think so. So it's gonna who who's it gonna be? Dombrowski? Then you, he loses credibility with whatever's gonna happen as, as roster moves take shape, especially as we get to the trade deadline. Well, we can't do it. I'm sorry. And, and and if you're the sort of franchise that's willing to do it, then, you know, I just hope it's not in boston
1: the the pitchers will be the ones that that make it happen though chris sale and david price will go beat down core's door and be like look we want sandy and we want him now i think that's the only way it happens
3: yeah i'd bring him back when they they inevitably bring him back because somebody gets hurt he should catch erod uh and Porcello, and they should still force Sale, Price, whatever, to pitch to either Vasquez or Swihart, whoever's, whoever's healthy. I mean, I just... I, it, well, Sale... Again, I don't want to go down... I don't want to go down the rabbit hole. I, I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. It's the pussification of the modern professional athlete. I think it's pathetic that people are going to put... And, and it's about... To me, that's it's actually a little bit shocking. Like, I don't... I get it with Price, right? Price is Price, and he can be a mental midget at times, whatever. But with Sale, he's, he, to me, is a tough-minded professional athlete, except for this whole, like, binky personal catcher situation. I get it with some. I don't get it with Sale, whatever. I hate the whole thing. I think it just it undermines what's best for the program and what's best for winning games. And when I tell you that this team needs every little inch it can get I mean it needs every inch it can get right now. Whether it be the best offensive, the best well rounded catcher, the best option at second base, you know, whatever may be the situation. They need it right now. They can't be dicking around with what's best for David Price or Chris Sale. They just can't be. Yeah,
1: I mean I mean we got a lot of problems, so I'm I don't think the catching situation is going to rank really highly, and I like the Leon uh, Rodriguez pairing. I mean, if he were to come back, I think that's a good pairing because I, I think Leon is the type of guy who could get him right. Uh, Sale has kind of proven that he it doesn't really matter. He he seems to get results no matter who um, you know catches him and you know the jury is out for the rest of them but uh, I don't think we're going to be seeing um, Leon anytime soon and he was outrighted so there's no no rush whatsoever to to get him up here Uh, Liz actually if you want to just go ahead with the uh, the next series here
2: oh yeah definitely next series our uh, last one wrapping up the West Coast is going to be against the D backs. Uh, definitely a team, you know, the Sox don't see very often. No, uh, you know, no AL team sees very often. So uh, there's not, not too much, you know, to compare, I guess. Uh, the first game is going to be uh, Porcello and uh, Godley. I guess Porcello right now, like, as I'm sure you all are heavily aware, 13.5 ERA, and uh, Godley has an 11.8. So it seems like kind of an even matchup, you know, when you look at it that way. I guess. Um, I mean, hardly any of the players. Let me actually look at the look at the table here that compares all the players. It, it looks like uh, Benatendi, Mookie, uh, Bogarts, Bradley, and Nunez, uh, Jeremy's favorite. Um, I've seen him a handful of times, you know, just like once or twice, uh, and really not gotten any production out of it. I think actually Nunez was the only one that got an RBI off of him. But um, with Porcello, I actually didn't realize that uh, Adam Jones is on the D-back now. So that's pretty interesting. He's obviously seen quite a bit of Porcello. It doesn't look like he's hit particularly well off him. Uh, 42 at-bats, three home runs, and only nine RBIs. So so that's not too bad. But then they've also got, it looks like, uh, Eduardo Escobar, who uh, used to be on the Twins, that saw him quite a bit. 18 at bats but also only got one RBI so this might actually be a time you know for Porcello to you know to do you know well he's facing a lot of batters that you know haven't haven't seen him at all or have maybe only seen him you know for one at bat so I don't even know that that counts and uh, and the two that have seen him you know really haven't done much you know uh, to speak of so, so I mean this could be a time for him to, to kind of pick it up which will be good and uh, this it might you know also be a fresh start for you know for the offense you know for the Red Sox to actually wake up and hit the way we know they can hit you know they they don't suck they're not they're not the Orioles <laughs> who happen to be in second right now you know they they should be in second you know if nothing else but um but you know seeing seeing this pitcher you know that they're unfamiliar with you know maybe that'll be a clean slate and uh, you know possibly you know, boost their I don't know if they need a boost of their egos, but, you know, apparently, uh, didn't you tweet or something, Terry, that uh, there was, like, the clubhouse is uneasy, what was it? I can't even remember the tweet now, but something about the clubhouse not being very happy right now, and it's like, I I certainly don't blame them for for not, but, you know, maybe this game, this first game in uh, Arizona might be a, a start for them to start to feel a
1: little bit better about themselves again well Godley zach godley is a you know basically a a three or four at best and tends to get knocked around a lot you know continually giving Mm -hmm. up at least four runs or so and uh he's up Mm -hmm. against porcello so it could be one of those firefights you know whichever pitcher sucks the least will uh probably help their team win but you know that's not a you know not you know not a matchup nothing I'm hang... particularly worried about
2: yeah yeah nothing to hang your hat on I guess
1: yeah yeah and the next one uh, price and, and weaver um, I'm not so much worried about price I mean he got he came so close to getting out of that game with a with a quality start uh, on Monday and he's up against Luke Weaver who um, the Diamondbacks got in the Paul Goldschmidt trade and he's been knocked around quite a bit uh, the last couple of starts, so not a great debut for him, and uh, their other rookie, Merrill Kelly is pitching Sunday, and um, mm-hmm. he's a rookie, so not much to go on, but the same can be said with Weaver. I mean, when you go back to that Oakland match, uh, I think it was, yeah, it was the Price matchup against Aaron Brooks. On paper, Brooks looked like he was really shitty, you know. Had an eight something ERA in his only five starts, and I'm like, oh, that's that's an easy win, and we get shut down completely. Didn't score runs, so I think that tends to happen with Red Sox pitching. If it's someone they're not familiar with, you know, we kind of take it for granted, and and you know, doesn't doesn't always end well, but. Um, could go either way, but this is a very winnable series, though, compared to, mm-hmm. um, you know, the Oakland one at the very least. We thought we were going to do better in, in Seattle, obviously, but, but uh, yeah, this isn't a team that's really built to, to win. So, Jeremy, any thoughts on the series?
3: Please win two out of three. That'd be great. Um, If they if they can sweep and they can come back at five and six, I I honestly would consider the 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 trip a success, given where we are now and how we performed. So, uh, you come back at four and seven, um, it's not great, but it's not crippling. You lose this series, you're really really, especially if the Yankees get hot. Um, I'm no offense to the Orioles. Actually, wait a minute. Full offense mended toward uh, meant uh, meant towards the Orioles. I, I just don't fear them at all. The Devil Rays. Um, I, I have like a thought in the back of my mind that they could win ninety five games and be a problem, but I just I'm assuming that's not going to happen. So at the end of the day, I'm just worried about the Yankees. So I just I'm worried about the Yankees getting hot and winning a series, and all of a sudden they're up three or four games, and it snowballs and rolls downhill. So. They, they, they just have to win the series against a real bad program. So, uh, And then if they go ahead and sweep, which I can't imagine it's going to happen based on things so far, uh, I would actually go so far as calling this trip a, uh, a success at 5 and 6. So let's see what happens. Uh, for the love of Christ, uh, please win 2 or 3.
1: Yeah, hopefully uh, that happens. And interestingly... Uh, The Red Sox haven't yet named a starter for that third game against Arizona. That would be Chris Sayles' turn through, but they're saving him for the home opener against the Blue Jays. And now I'm kind of wondering, is that really what they want? They can kind of hide him in Arizona, kind of feel him out one more time before, you know, before the Blue Jays roll in. So um, (laughs) uh, it's just a... I think, the, I think
3: what they're doing there they because they, they have Monday off and they play Tuesday and they're going to celebrate the World Series and then they're off again Wednesday. I, I think especially with the way this thing started. um, I, I like giving everyone two extra days. So if they especially if they win Friday and Saturday, I'll be increasingly okay with a bullpen game probably started by Velasquez um, on Sunday. So you know that's where i'm at with that
1: yeah especially if uh somehow we can take the uh the first two but uh all right liz we're gonna bounce you for this final segment but we appreciate you coming on and uh you know grinding it out with us
2: always a pleasure (laughs)
3: okay good night liz and I, i i apologize on terrence's behalf for the uh for the problems during the shut-up. <laughs> uh, obviously, obviously, he's not going to apologize, so I will. Form. I'm, I'm <laughs> no deeply sorry. God hey, damn. No,
2: no, no apology necessary. <laughs> that was the uh, <laughs> most you awkward. Guys, guys...
1: <laughs> For good night. Later. Later. We'll talk to you on the next one, alright?
2: Have a good night.
1: Alright. So with us right now is uh, one of my favorite guests to have on. I don't think we've had him on since last fall. Uh, you can find him on uh, the Rattle podcast and uh, other uh, formats as well, which we'll get into. Jesse Friedman, and you can find him on Twitter at Jesse Friedman, all one word. Jesse, how are you?
4: I'm doing great, Terry. How are you?
1: Not too bad. Not too bad. Uh, so, uh, well, first of all, you're, I was kind of surprised to find out that you're over in Europe right now.
4: Yes, absolutely. So it is actually, I think I mentioned this to you over uh, over Twitter, it's about 5 a.m. Uh, my time at the moment, so uh, I believe it's probably dark out uh, there on the East Coast. It is also dark out here, um, but... Uh, I guess technically a different day. Uh, today it is uh, it is Friday, April fifth over here, um, whereas I guess it would still be the fourth there. But yeah, I'm in, I'm uh, studying abroad here in Budapest for the semester, doing a math program. Oh wow! Um, so yeah, it's been uh, been quite an experience. Very, uh, very, very fun. Lots and lots of traveling. So uh, been a been a fun few months over here.
1: Do they do they speak? That's in Hungary, right? Yes. Yeah, so do they speak a lot of English, or or, or are you bilingual?
4: Yeah, so, um, I mean, Hungarian is is definitely the, the predominant language in Hungary because I'm right in Budapest, I'm right in the heart of the capital, um, there are a lot more English-speaking people than, than you would find in, in, you know, one of the suburbs of Hungary. So probably uh-huh. about half of people around here speak a little bit of English, so you can you can get by pretty easily.
1: I see. And h- how about baseball coverage? Uh, can you just, like, log on to MLB.TV and still catch uh, some games?
4: Yeah, MLB.TV does work out here, fortunately. Um, baseball does not have much of a culture. Uh, In Hungary or really much of uh, Eastern Europe at all from what I can tell so I'm pretty far away from the baseball scene But thanks to uh, the internet, you know, I'm I'm as as close as I've ever been. So it works out
1: Well good. I don't think I I, if I couldn't watch baseball like instant deal-breaker I would I would (laughs) pass up anything I would pass up a ride on, like, an alien spaceship if I was guaranteed to be safely brought back to Earth. I just wouldn't go. I'm like, no, the socks. I mean, sales pitching tonight, I'm not going. Um, <laughs> that, that's just how intense I am. Uh, here's another embarrassing fact. I have our double A affiliate, like, 45 minutes south. I could go watch some of our top prospects, you know, Durbin, Feltman, uh, Darwin's on Hernandez, and... Uh, you know Bobby Dahlbeck you know and and I haven't been there since like 2006 because <laughs> yeah, I'm like <laughs> no the socks are on I'm not I'm not driving to a minor league game but uh, I don't know that's just how weird I am but anyway so let's uh, just get into your Diamondbacks real quick kind of a different feel this year coming into the season at least from what I have seen
4: Oh, absolutely! Yeah, I, I, um, I really, I really don't think there's a whole lot in common between this year's Diamondbacks and last year's Diamondbacks in terms of just the kind of the tone of the fan base that's that's behind this team. Um, it's been, it, you know, you, you think about not that long ago, probably in in September, I believe, around September first, the Diamondbacks were still in first place in the NL West. Um, I believe by about a couple games they were ahead of the Dodgers at that point. Um, so, you know, this is a team that not that long ago was very highly thought of. They were on the verge of maybe their second consecutive playoff berth, maybe even uh, winning the division this time rather than the wild card, which they'd done the year prior. Uh, and then the wheels just completely fell off in the month of September. I believe the Diamondbacks were about nine games under five hundred in that month. Uh, the Dodgers, of course, had a great month and 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 went right past them. Uh, the Rockies went past them as well. Um, so it, it was a, it was a rough month for the Diamondbacks, and and not only was it a rough month on the field, but it really just set up a spiral of of one of the most difficult off seasons for a fan base to observe. I mean, you want to talk about a, a team that has been gutted of its star talent all at the same time. Uh, the Diamondbacks don't have Paul Goldschmidt, uh, they don't have Patrick Corbin, and they don't have A.J. Pollock. And those were uh, three of, of probably your best five players on the entire roster are now no longer here. And and what's interesting is is I, I still think that the Diamondbacks can be a competitive baseball team. I, I don't think um, this is, you know, I, I don't think the Diamondbacks are going to win 65 games this year. I think they're better than that. I think they could win 80 uh, probably be right around 500 for most of the season which is by no means uh, you know a, a horrible team to watch or a horrible team to get behind but I think just the, just the change in the narrative of this team from being a playoff contender that was right in the thick of it to suddenly watching you know your franchise player and Paul Goldschmidt go to another team in the Cardinals and sign uh, now a five year extension with them I think it's been really hard for a lot of people to watch and it's really just led to a, a complete shift in in the fan base, and and you can you can tell this even on the internet, even on Twitter, there just isn't as much buzz about this team as there's been in years past.
3: Well, that uh, Jesse, this is Jeremy Schilling. Um, that brings me to my question, um, and I guess because you just touched on it, it changes my question a little bit, but. One, why was Arizona so willing to, to trade Goldschmidt? And I understand there's a, a, a draft pick haul, and you know it better than I do, so uh, you know, I'll, I'll let you answer that. But the fact that he signed what seems to be a pretty obvious contract to me, given the fact that he is a silver slugger, gold glove winner, um, or anything bad about his personality or his character, he seems to be a good fit in the clubhouse, You know, all those sorts of intangibles. It just seems like, it seems like, potentially a mistake was made. For and 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 if so, then what what was the reason for it? What was the rationale behind the Diamondbacks' decision to to move away from that level of of player? You know, he's 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 potentially going to be a generational player.
4: Yeah, Jeremy, I don't I don't think you're alone in thinking that. I think pretty much every Diamondbacks fan thinks that a mistake was made, and I and I think. Generally across the league. There's probably a lot of people who think the Diamondbacks made a mistake here Um, And and I I do want to give them the benefit of the doubt in some sense Uh, It's hard to know exactly what was going on at the time But word is that when Paul Goldschmidt was still a member of the Diamondbacks their conversations about signing an extension were not at all in the 130 million dollar range that he wound up ultimately signing with the Cardinals uh, but word is apparently that he was asking more in the range of two hundred million dollars uh, at that point. Which, uh, personally, I, I'm a little bit skeptical that the number is quite that high. But that's the word that we've received from uh, from one of the from a, a Diamondback source who who has broken information in the past. Um, and so, if that is indeed true, then it does make sense why the Diamondbacks decided to pass up on this because. They're a relatively small market team. They already have Zach Granke um, under contract, one of the, the richest contracts of, of all time. Um, and so, you know, it makes sense for a team in their position. Maybe they just don't have the money uh, for a guy like this. And, and obviously, you are not expecting to be able to afford to resign someone. Um, then you, you might as well trade him, you know, in his contract here and, and, and get some sort of talent back for him rather than just letting him walk. Uh, at the end of the season. So I think from that standpoint, it does make a a little bit of sense, Um, but I think a lot of people are starting to ask a lot of questions now that uh, Goldschmidt, without hesitation apparently, uh, signed this deal with the Cardinals for just $130 million. Uh, A lot of people are looking at this contract as something the Diamondbacks probably could have and, and should have done. Uh, And and I don't think any of us have any doubts that if Goldschmidt were asking the Diamondbacks for $130 million uh, several months ago, that the Diamondbacks probably would have accepted that deal uh, and Goldschmidt would still be uh, a Diamondback uh, right now to this day.
3: Yeah, so I have one follow-up comment and then one follow-up question. I have to believe, and maybe you disagree with me, but maybe you don't, that a part of the situation is the Cardinals' historically good program played in, in his ability to be there meaning you know he's expecting them to be a contender maybe they don't make the playoffs every year but they've been in the world series multiple times in the last 10 or 15 years they're perennially good um they commit to their athletes um where you know the diamondbacks maybe don't have that same track record so you can comment on that if you want but then it's the second part of my comment slash question is how happy are you with the prospect paul
4: yeah, I, think, uh, I, I don't think the Diamondbacks did horribly uh, in what they got in return for Goldschmidt, but I also don't think anyone was particularly overwhelmed, um, which I think was also maybe a little bit of a difference between how the fan base has reacted to this and how the front office has reacted to this trade. The front office was really just gushing over the idea of getting both Luke Weaver uh, and Carson Kelly. Uh, those are really the two pieces the Diamondbacks got in this deal. Um, and, and I, I like both guys. I think Luke Weaver, I believe the Diamondbacks have him under contract for five years, uh, which, you know, a, on paper, you're trading one year of Paul Goldschmidt for five years of Luke Weaver. And I believe six years of Carson Kelly. Um, so on paper at the time before the extension was signed, it, it did look at least okay. Um, but I don't think that Luke Weaver is really thought of as being much more than a number four starter Maybe a number three starter, depending on who you talk to. Um, And and Carson Kelly is is really an interesting case as well. Uh, He's a catcher. He is a guy who has been perennially blocked by Yadier Molina uh, throughout most of his career. Probably would have been up and at the major league level with a lot of major league teams out there. Um, But he he just doesn't have a whole lot of major league experience because, because of Yadier Molina. So... I think it's it's a, a really interesting piece to have on your team, especially for the Diamondbacks who really don't have a catcher of the future and really haven't for, for quite some time. I think Miguel Montero way back in, uh, I believe, 2010 or 2011 uh, is really the last homegrown catcher that the Diamondbacks uh, have ever had or, or really the last consistent catcher that they've had year to year. Um, so I think the Diamondbacks saw that as a need something that they wanted to address and Carson Kelly not long ago was a top 100 prospect he was considered by by some people the best catching prospect in the game Uh, and they think that that the Cardinals because Yadier Molina blocked him for so many years they think that he wasn't getting the full opportunity um, in St. Louis and so they decided let's bring him over here to Arizona let's Uh, Give him some everyday at-bats, which is ironic because to this point, they really haven't done that. I believe he started maybe two out of their seven games so far. Um, But on paper, I think it's an interesting idea. And I do think that ultimately, even though uh, this deal does not look good at this time, and a lot of fans, I think, are really missing their first baseman, Carson Kelly has a chance to be a pretty good catcher. And if the Diamondbacks can get six years of a pretty good catcher out of this deal... I think there's at least something to be said for that
1: that's definitely been a you know a you know a weak spot in in your lineup uh, offensively but uh with your rotation now uh, you, you spoke spoken you know kind of as you first come on that you think this is a decent team at least 500 capable and you know, from afar it looks like your rotation is still pretty solid. I know Grinky got knocked around, you know, opening day, pretty good, but looked a lot better in a second uh, start and despite the size of that contract, it's worked out okay. You know, it hasn't been terrible. The price contract was looking not so good for us, you know, for about a year and a half there and I feel like Grinky has been solid and Um, I just feel like there's enough potential there. So do you think that that'll be strong down the stretch? And also, what do you expect from Robbie Ray? Because he had a great 2017, and um, can he kind of rekindle that? And, you know, with him, Grinky and and maybe if Weaver pans out, or your other rookie that's going to be pitching in the Red Sox series, like can these guys, you know, help this team maybe – you know, pull off a long shot.
4: Yeah, I think the I think the the predominant reason that I think the Diamondbacks can still be competitive, at least on some level, is because of their rotation. Uh, they did lose Patrick Corbin; he was had an excellent season last year. That is by no means a small loss. Uh, but I think Luke Weaver uh, potentially could have a, a good year. Uh, I think Merrill Kelly, who's the other. A rookie who they just signed from from overseas. He's actually a, a local guy, grew up in Arizona, uh, now now playing for the Diamondbacks. So it's kind of a cool story. Um, but yeah, I, I think the Diamondbacks rotation has a chance to be pretty good, pretty competitive this season. Uh, Zach Greinke was horrible on on the first game of the season, so it was uh, I think difficult to watch for for a lot of people. But Greinke, uh, all things considered, really has never looked. Per- Particularly good at Dodger Stadium ever since uh, the Diamondbacks made this uh, this signing so uh, that really wasn't uh, all too rare at least from from my perspective um, but I think that I think the Diamondbacks still have a pretty good rotation I think Ranky at the end of the day is still a pretty good starter to have at the top of your rotation um, and you mentioned Robbie Ray I think he has been pinned by a lot of people as the X factor uh, at least from the pitching side of things, if the Diamondbacks are going to contend this season. If if the Diamondbacks are going to make any noise in a wild-card chase or a division chase, it is going to be because Robbie Ray, you know, wins the Cy Young Award or, or comes somewhat close to that. Uh, and he has that kind of stuff. He's got 95 from the left side. Uh, he's got a sweeping slider. He, at times, has a very good curveball uh, that he can get over for strike, so... Uh, Robbie Ray has an extremely high ceiling as a pitcher. Uh, You mentioned 2017. He had an excellent year, ERA of under three. He was an all-star that season. Uh, But last year, he struggled with some injuries, wasn't really the same guy. And early indications this season were that this could be the year for Robbie Ray uh, because he had an excellent spring training. I believe he struck out 32 batters in just over 16 innings of work. No. Uh, so you're talking about <laughs> two batters an inning, which is absolutely ridiculous. Right. Um, so he uh, apparently in spring training was looking extremely good. Tori Lavello even said, I think this might be the year for Robbie Ray. Uh, but then the start of the season rolled around. And, and frankly, he looked a whole lot like the Robbie Ray of last season. In his first start, he went five innings. Uh, I believe he gave up three runs on three hits. Uh, which isn't horrible, but he walked five. Uh, and In his last start, he also walked five, over five and a third in his fourth. Uh, so, so far, Robbie Ray uh, has not only been striking out a batter in an inning, but he's also been walking a batter in an inning. Uh, and that is uh, obviously not horribly sustainable. So, uh, I think it'll get better. I think Robbie Ray is a better pitcher than that. Uh, but at the end of the day, he's had this this crux his entire career uh, that he just can't get past the fifth inning without his pitch count ballooning well over a hundred, um, and and this is something we've we've seen with good pitchers in the past. This is something that good pitchers sometimes are able to overcome. Uh, I remember even Max Scherzer way back in the day when he was on the Diamondbacks. Um, he was this type of pitcher. I remember days where Max Scherzer would throw 120 pitches to get through five innings. Um, but he was able to figure it out, and, and I think the hope is that Robbie Ray is able to do the same at some point.
1: I hope he does. I kind of, you know, became a fan during that season, and with the Lavello connection, the Hazen connection, uh, the Diamondbacks are always a team I like to see do well. You mentioned uh, Patrick Corbin departing. Uh, not to get too far, you know, away from the Diamondbacks, but. What did you think of the deal he actually signed, which I think was like six years, roughly $140 million with the Nationals, and how do you think he'll fare in that type of market?
4: I don't know if, if Patrick Corbin is quite a $140 million pitcher. When that deal was signed, I, I wasn't... Um, I was I was happy for Patrick because he had a great season and I think from that standpoint he deserved the money that he got uh, but I don't really view him as a 140 million dollar pitcher over the next six years I mean you you think prior to the season that he just had Corbett on the open market might have gotten 50 million dollars like like maybe could have gotten 50 million dollars uh, but because the pitching market was was kind of thin uh, suddenly you know one great season turned him into a 140 million dollar guy so you know great for him he had a great season um but i i don't know if patrick corbin's success that he had last year is quite sustainable to that extent he's really a two-pitch guy he's got the fastball and the slider and the slider is legitimately one of the best in the game Uh, it is it is almost randy johnson-esque the movement on that pitch Um, But I think at the end of the day, when you are a two-pitch pitcher and your fastball is only around 91, 92, like it was for most of last season, I think hitters can make some adjustments there. Um, So I think a lot of it will probably depend on Corbin's third pitch, which he did develop a curveball, which he started using a little bit more. Um, But so long as that stays kind of on the periphery of his arsenal, I, I don't see Corbin necessarily having the kind of success he did last year even though he is by all means a definitely a great pitcher and and i think he'll i think he'll have some good seasons with the nationals for sure
3: oh hopefully so jesse um just a general you know west division question it's been the dodgers division uh they've been in the last two world series obviously um (laughs) but i picked the rockies um i like the rockies I like a lot of their players specifically. I won't, you know, go through naming the roster. I think that's boring. Um, but just to kick it back to you, um, you know, how do you see the West playing out this year? Uh, who do you have winning the division, and, and potentially, uh, if you see a second team out of the West making the playoffs, who who out of the division do you potentially see as a wild card?
4: Yeah, I think uh, I think for me, the Dodgers are probably going to win the division again. Uh, which hurts me to say because I feel like I have to say this every year. Um, but, but especially now, now that the Diamondbacks are in the position that they're in, I think the Dodgers are, are pretty much the clear-cut uh, number one team. I, I don't think that the Rockies are far behind, though. Um, people forget that although the Dodgers did win the division last year and they went on to go to the World Series, they actually had to play a game 163 against the Rockies uh, because the division race got that close, and the Dodgers, uh, in some ways, didn't actually finish particularly strong, um, and that allowed the Rockies to catch up. So, um, I don't, I don't necessarily think this is, um, you know, a, an unfair battle, and the Dodgers are, are far and away uh, the best team. But if I had to uh, pick a team, if I had to bet on a team to win this division. I think I would take the Dodgers, and, and part of that stems just from what I saw from them in the first series of the season against the Diamondbacks. Uh, this team just went completely off. I believe they set an all-time record, or I believe it was, just, it was just a franchise record, but they set their own franchise record since moving to Los Angeles for runs scored in a four-game series. Um, And and their offense in this series just looks spectacular. Cody Bellinger uh, Was hitting all sorts of home runs. Jock Peterson looks really really good. Justin Turner Corey Seager is back now Uh, Max Muncy hit 35 home runs last year, which a lot of people don't realize Uh, This is just one of the deepest offensive lineups that I've ever seen on a team and and I think now that the Dodgers have so much depth offensively. Uh, I think it's really only a matter of their pitching staying healthy enough. Uh, and the Dodgers are, are a special team, and they have been for years now, in that they have so much pitching depth that they can withstand several injuries every season. And they do that every year because it feels like Rich Hill is always on the disabled list. <laughs> and, and sometimes Jin Ryu is as well. Uh, sometimes Kershaw is as well. They, the Dodgers have had no shortage of injuries to deal with. But they're always able to get over the hump because they just have far and away more depth than any other team uh, in the National League or, or especially the National League West. Um, so I think this is a team that once again is is poised to win. I think now that they have Corey Seager back, they're only going to get that much better. I don't think they're going to miss Manny Machado a whole lot because you look at the numbers, he wasn't actually that good for them anyway uh, down the stretch last season. Um, so I think... This is probably the Dodgers division to lose. I think the Rockies are definitely the, the next team in line that I would pick um, to earn a wild card spot potentially. I, I would maybe pick them for that. I think they're, they're legit contenders for that. Their starting rotation is a lot better than, than most people probably think. Uh, some people think the Padres are, are ready to contend this year. I think they're probably still a, a year or two away. Um, but now that Fernando Tatis Jr. is with the Major League Club, some of their young starting pitching has started to materialize, I don't think it'll be long before the Padres uh, become a pretty good team as well.
3: Which brings me to my follow-up. As you know, the Padres signed that dirtbag, <laughs> Manny Machado. <laughs> um, my thoughts, uh, I don't know if the, the podcast endorses it, but he is a dirt bag. I think it's unquestionable. I can't stand him. I hope he has no success whatsoever. But um, my question is, how much does he move the needle specifically for the Padres? Um, I mean, we can all go Google his war on Spotrac, but uh, in your opinion, um, being you know having a lot of knowledge about the division, that team generally, the effect on the division, uh, how much does Manny Machado, that absolute scumbag, uh, move the needle for the Padres in the West?
4: I think he moves the needle a lot I mean you're talking about a, a, a really really good baseball player by pretty much any metric that you look at but here's the thing the Padres need someone to move the needle a whole lot <laughs> if they're going to get back into contention uh, this is a team that has been quite bad and, and riding the seller of the division for years um, they're pretty much always in fourth or fifth place. They have been uh, probably since the days of Adrian Gonzalez. Um, so this is a club that needs not only Manny Machado, but is going to need some other reinforcements as well. Um, and I think they did a nice job picking up Ian Kinsler. Um, I think they have a lot of other young talent that's very, very interesting. I think Austin Hedges is is a pretty good everyday catcher. Um, I think Fran Reyes uh, is... It's another really interesting piece for them. Will Myers is, is always a, a solid player. Um, so I, I think they're going to be a, a much more reasonably competitive team. Um, but when you're talking about a team that, that just a year ago was, you know, the kind of team you, you go into San Diego for a three-game series, you're expecting to win at least two of those three games uh, because they they just haven't been a good team at all for, for quite some time. So. I think Machado helps them a little bit. I think he kind of takes them out of the cellar and and gives them at least a shot at at playing for something this season. Um, But I think for them, it really all goes back to their starting pitching, uh, which they haven't really done a whole lot to address at the end of the day. This is still a very, very young rotation. I believe the average age of a starting pitcher on the Padres right now is 24 years old. Um, So... They're very, very young, and there's a lot of potential there, but there's also a lot of risk there. You you don't really know what you're going to get out of your starting pitching, and over the course of 162 games, starting pitching seems to be the, the most predominant thing that carries teams every single year to the playoffs over that long of a season. And I'm still skeptical that the Padres really have what they need from a starting pitching standpoint.
1: I think they have the Indians on speed dial, though you know Kluver Bauer <laughs> i i don't know yeah. the, the Indians aren't <laughs> off to a good start so that'd be a good place to uh, look if 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 the Padres get off to a better than expected start um i guess we'll wrap up by uh, just getting your thoughts on the Tory Lavello extension uh two years was tacked on i think he was going into his lame duck year so he signed through 2021 I'm a big Lavelle guy. One of the worst days of my life was when uh, Dombrowski announced that Farrell would be returning for 2017, and then I'm like, oh, there goes Lavelle. We're never going to – because after that 2015 season when he took over those couple of months, just to watch the aggression of the team and how they responded to him and how much he was able to get out of them. Like Brad, Jackie Bradley had his breakout – with Lavello and Joe Kelly was still a starting pitcher and went on an 8-0 run and Wade Miley's ERA became the lowest on the team. You know, he had a decent stretch there and <laughs> just got so much out of so little. And how do you feel about him, you know, as your manager? And, and and you know, what, what are your expectations, I guess?
4: I don't think there's any doubt that Tory Lavello is, is a tremendous leader. Uh, I've had the opportunity to to meet him and and to uh, just kind of hear his vision for his team several times in person, and he is absolutely the kind of guy you want at the helm of your organization, and I have no doubt that if the Diamondbacks ever were to move on from Torrey Lovello, there would instantly be another job open to him because he is that kind of a guy who I think is just going to have a job in Major League Baseball for a while because he's just... He just is a great leader and a great clubhouse person Um, and and I think like you said he's he's capable of of doing a lot with a little and when the Diamondbacks a lot of a lot of people didn't realize this at first but it's true when the Diamondbacks lost on to the Dodgers on their home opener that was the first time the Diamondbacks had been under 500 since Torrey Lovello became the manager of the D-backs two years ago and that is saying something because Prior to that season, the Diamondbacks were not actually a particularly good team at all. Um, so to have that long of a run of being over 500 uh, is is really impressive. And, and Torrey Lovello, I think, deserves a lot of the credit for that. He was the 2017 Manager of the Year. Uh, he's good at what he does. I think from from a Diamondbacks more fan perspective, the concern with Lovello is that he's almost too loyal to his players that he doesn't always do what's best for the team he kind of does what's best for you know maybe for a particular guy or what he feels is best for a particular guy he wants to show that he trusts you and he wants to stick with you even in a situation where it looks like you've kind of lost it and and that's something that has worked out for Torrey lovello sometimes but i think more often than not it seems to blow up in his face more than anything else um, and and the Diamondbacks, if you if you look uh, more at the at the some of the the Sabre metric stats, uh, they would say that the Diamondbacks the last two years actually should have won probably about five or six more games than they did, uh, based on how many runs they outscored their their opponent by. There's a statistic that that measures how many games you should have won based on your run differential. Uh, and even though the Diamondbacks were a pretty good team the last two years. The metrics say that both years, the Diamondbacks actually fell short of the number of games they should have won by a pretty significant margin. And a lot of people think that that's because Lovello is is while he's a great manager for the clubhouse, he's never going to lose control of the team. I think we all know that. Um, but there's a, there's a question of whether he's maybe being a little bit too loyal. Uh, and maybe that hurts the Diamondbacks from a result. Results standpoint every year, um, so I, I love Torrey Lovello as a manager, as a person. I think he's great at what he does overall. Uh, but if the Diamondbacks were ever to move on from him, I think it would be because he doesn't necessarily maximize. Um, it, it's it's weird because I, I feel like he, he maximizes what he gets out of his team, but he also, in another sense, does not. So it's kind of it's a very odd dynamic. Um, but I think that would be the reason why, why the Diamondbacks would move on from him if they ever did.
1: Well, I mean, the shelf life for a manager in Boston tends to be like five to eight years. So I, I wouldn't mind having him back, you know, if, if they ever moved on from Cora. <laughs> but it's way too soon to, to think you know about that. And now that we have Cora, I am a Cora guy. But one actual last thing I just want to sneak in here just came to mind. I took Walker Bueller for NL Cy Young.
4: How
1: how big of a long shot am I looking at here?
4: I I really don't think that's that uh, that's that long of a long shot. Or at least I wouldn't have uh, before the Diamondbacks had had just completely trounced him over three innings. <laughs> he, he did yeah. not look particularly Truth. good in his first start of the season against the Diamondbacks. But he also had a shortened spring training. Um, so I think a, a lot of people on the Dodgers side didn't seem too concerned that Walker Buehler pitched like he did. Uh, but this is a guy with big stuff. He throws 99 consistent throughout a game. He's got some good off-speed pitches. Uh, I think Walker Buehler, as much as it pains me to say, I think he could win a Cy Young at some point in his career. This is a This is a little bit more of a difficult season for him to do it because he's gotten off to a late start with some injury problems. Uh, so we'll see how they, uh, how they uh, balance those things out if they, if they try to get him right back into the rotation or if they... Uh, I don't know exactly what that would look like to maybe give him some more time to, to figure things out. But uh, I, I don't think it's out of the question that Walker Buehler will will win a Cy Young at some point in his career. He has that kind of stuff, um, and he's a young guy. He's going to be doing this for, for years and years down the road. So I think that's I think that's really a, a very reasonable proposition.
1: Yeah, I think he's the successor, really, uh, to Kershaw, unless somebody else, you know, breaks out eventually. But anyway, we appreciate you coming on, and uh, before you go, why don't you uh, tell everyone where they can find you because you're you're pretty busy across the uh, baseball landscape.
4: Yeah, absolutely. So the best way to follow me is probably just to follow me on Twitter, uh, which, as you mentioned at the beginning of the show, is at Jesse N Friedman, J-E-S-S-E, the letter N, then F-R-I-E-D-M-A-N. Uh, we have some exciting news coming out soon. The, the Rattle, uh, the, the podcast that I've posted the last couple years, uh, we haven't announced anything formally, but we're kind of expanding it. Uh, we're going to add some some written elements to the Rattle as well. We've got some other people coming on board Ah, uh, so it's an exciting season for us, and that should be uh, launching here in just about a week. Uh, so, looking forward to to kind of expanding what I've done with my Diamondbacks coverage uh, this next season. It it should be a lot of fun, and and hopefully this team stays competitive enough uh, for fans to stay engaged as well.
1: Well, I hope so. Like I said, you know, you got a, you got a pretty strong Red Sox connection, so. I, uh, I find myself watching a lot of your games. So, anyway, thanks for coming on. We always appreciate it, especially because it's so early in the morning. My brain doesn't start <laughs> working until about 8 a.m. So, uh, you're
4: uh, –
3: Appreciate you, Jesse. Really, 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 really appreciate the effort here.
4: Yeah, absolutely, guys. It's always a pleasure.
3: All right. Have, have a good one, Jesse. Thanks again.
4: All right. You too.
1: All right, I'm just fumbling through my thing here. All right, just the two of us. So I guess we'll uh, we'll wrap up. Uh, good show, shitty series, but uh, unfortunately, maybe at Jesse's expense, we might be able to uh, rattle off a couple uh, wins before heading
3: home. Yeah, I mean, they... they you, you can't win a division in April, but you can certainly lose it and I'm gonna tell you right now If they get swept by the Diamondbacks, they're on the verge of losing the division <laughs> uh, to, to, to the point where they're gonna have to play you know 20 games over five uh, over 500 the rest of the way to give them chance, to, uh, Give themselves a chance to make the playoffs it, it makes it almost impossible because this is a good division. The Rays are good uh, The double Rays are good. The Yankees are obviously good. So uh, they, I mean, Jesus Christ, Boston. Figure it out, please. I'm begging you.
1: Ya. Yankees um, only have one more win than us, uh, interestingly. And Stanton's on the DL. Andahar might be lost for the season. That won't be known for a couple of weeks. Tulowitzky, biggest shocker ever on the DL with a calf strain. Yeah. <laughs> Sabathia, Severino. That's one hurting unit. And there's a lot of chaos going on right now within the fan base over what's going on as far as a leadership uh, standpoint so they're they're having their own little clusterfuck right now so tampa can certainly capitalize here
3: yeah I, i i totally agree terry um it's one of those things where your problems are always magnified more than the other family's problems you know, the other family always seems like they're going to pull together and we're always like a mess. Um, I agree. Uh, the, the injuries are a problem um, for the Yankees. I Don't tell Liz this, and hopefully she's not listening this late into the podcast, but the Rays are a good program. They, Well, they're not a good program. The, that, that, traditionally, they've been pathetic, but the double Rays have... A problematic roster for 2019. They have the, you know, Snell, stud. They've got a great manager. I really, he's a top five manager. Um, And look, the Yankees are going to figure it out. I mean, I'd just be shocked if they don't win 90 games. So, I'm going to tell you right now, if you if you uh, you go four and seven here. And then you go back to Boston and you're jet-lagged and you don't start winning right away, this thing's going to become a problem. So they've got to put some wins together. They've got to do it. They've got to go two or three or better here against Arizona.
1: Yeah, agreed. Monday uh, is an off day. It's kind of a weird-looking week, actually, so maybe that'll play uh, to our benefit. But uh, I guess uh, with that, we'll wrap. And uh, let's see, we'll be back Sunday night. So... Hopefully with uh a better <laughs> a better uh result. Good night, Terrence. Yeah, have a good one, man. Well, that concludes episode one twenty two, I believe. So sorry for the clusterfuck, uh in the uh shout outs and call out segment. Um Hopefully that never happens again. It hasn't happened previously. So, um, we'll just, uh, we'll just assume that was just an anomaly. And, uh, game one tomorrow against, uh, the Diamondbacks. I think David Price. Nope. Rick Porcello, uh, gets the, the start for the opener there. So, uh, uh, hopefully two out of three <laughs> we don't want to keep stumbling along on this west coast trip and stagger back into Fenway so like I said hope for the best have a good night everyone and we'll see you Sunday night
0: it's a kind of a family wherever I roam of a red sox nation it's a kind of insanity i live and die with red sox pride for eternity